and welcome to the inaugural podcast of the HSF London CCNI team practice. Our aim is to bring you timely and incisive commentary on key developments in the CCNI space. Today we're going to talk about deferred prosecution agreements or DPAs in connection with the approval earlier this month of the UK's fifth and most recent DPA which was agreed between the SFO, the Serious Fraud Office and a subsidiary in the Serco group of companies. DPAs have long been a staple of the enforcement toolbox of regulators and authorities in the US, but were only introduced in the UK in 2014. They're therefore a relatively recent addition to the UK enforcement landscape and offer some interesting insight into how this landscape is changing. With us today, we have Kate Meakin of Council in the Herbert Smith Freehills Corporate Crime and Investigations team here in London, and Hannah Gernisher, an associate in the team. Great to have you with us. Kate. Before we get into the details of the most recent DPA, could you maybe give us a, a brief explanation of what a DPA entails? Yes, of course. Uh, DPAs provide a means, in appropriate cases, of resolving offending by corporate entities for fraud, bribery and economic crime. They are available to companies only, not to individuals. Under a DPA, a company agrees to certain conditions which are likely to include a financial penalty, compensation to victims, disgorgement of profits and payment of any reasonable costs of the prosecutor in relation to the alleged offence or the DPA itself. In terms of non-financial elements, uh, cooperation in any investigation related to the alleged offence is required, for example, um, prosecution of individuals and measures to prevent future offending. The relevant company and the SFO will also agree a public statement of facts setting out the company's wrongdoing. In return, and provided the conditions of the DPA are met, the company will not face prosecution. And once uh, once an agreement's been reached between the company and the SFO, does that essentially mean the DPA is in place and the the company is is more or less off the hook? No. So DPAs are public and must be applied for and approved by a court before coming into effect. A court will only approve a DPA which it considers to be in the interests of justice and which has fair, reasonable and proportionate terms. Um, It's also misleading to say that the company is off the hook once the DPA has been agreed, as the company will be required to comply with the terms of the DPA for a specific time period, usually several years. Um, Its compliance with those terms will be monitored. Having said that, there is a public perceptions issue occasionally in that DPAs can be seen as and are sometimes highlighted in the media as being an insufficient response to criminal conduct. Perhaps anticipating such criticism, in his concluding comments in approving the Serco DPA, Mr Justice Davis noted that any cynicism about the process by which a corporate entity can take advantage of a DPA is not well-founded. He said that approval will only be given where there is the clearest possible demonstration of integrity on the part of the relevant company, and that demonstrating such integrity would require self-reporting, full cooperation with the investigation, a willingness to learn lessons and acceptance of an appropriate penalty. As some of our listeners may know, HSF's Corporate Crime and Investigations team here in London negotiated the first DPA with the SFO, SFO and Standard Bank, which was concluded in November 2015. It concerned a failure to prevent bribery contrary to Section 7 of the Bribery Act 2010 in relation to a US dollar 6 million payment by a former sister company of Standard Bank in Tanzania to obtain a business advantage in respect to a private placement to be carried out on behalf of the government of Tanzania. The financial penalty imposed in this first DPA was 25.2 million US dollars. And and what sort of happened in the DPA landscape since then? 
So in July 2016, the second DPA was agreed between the SFO and the then anonymized XYZ Limited in respect of bribery and corruption offenses in relation to contracts to supply products to XYZ's overseas customers. Earlier this month, so three years after the DPA, uh, the con- following the conclusion of the criminal proceedings against the individual officers of the company, all of whom were acquitted, XYZ was named as Sarclad Limited. Under the DPA, Sarclad agreed to pay a penalty of £6.5 million. The XYZ case, uh, or Sarclad case, was followed by the third DPA, uh, SFO and Rolls-Royce, which has also been the biggest to date, resulting in orders for disgorgement, penalties and costs exceeding £500 million. Settlements uh, were also concluded in parallel with the US Department of Justice and the Brazilian authorities, with payments of $170 million going to the DOJ. Finally, it's worth mentioning the DPA with Tesco, which was approved on 10th of April 2017, albeit that the reporting restrictions were only lifted in January this year. The DPA concerned Tesco's conduct between February and September 2014, during which In the words of the SFO, a culture existed at Tesco that encouraged illegal practices to meet accounting targets. Tesco referred itself to enforcement authorities after discovering issues in their financial statements. And under the DPA, Tesco agreed to pay a £129 million fine and £3 million in investigation costs, as well as to implement an ongoing compliance programme. Turning to the most recent DPA, which was agreed between the SFO and Serco Geographics Limited, or SGL, um, which was a, a wholly owned subsidiary of outsourcing company Serco Group, can, can you tell us a bit about this DPA? Yes, um, it related to three counts of fraud and two of false accounting, arising from a scheme to dishonestly mislead the Ministry of Justice as to the true extent of the profits being made between 2010 and 2013, by Geographics Limited's parent company, Serco Limited, from its contract for the provision of electronic monitoring services to the MOJ. The figures reported were manipulated so as to artificially reduce profit margins reported to the Ministry of Justice. On the basis, it was believed that profit over a certain amount would be clawed back by the Ministry of Justice. The terms of the DPA, which will remain in place until 2022, require SGL to cooperate with the SFO and other relevant foreign and domestic law enforcement and regulatory authorities, pay a financial penalty of £19.2 million, pay the costs incurred by the SFO of £3.7 million, report evidence of fraud by itself or related companies and individuals, and enhance and report annually on the effectiveness of its ethics and compliance programme. Right, and I understand that there's a, an interesting group companies angle to the Serco DPA, which we haven't seen in previous DPAs. That's right. Um, the DPA is accompanied by an undertaking from SGL's ultimate parent company, Serco Group, under which the group has agreed to ongoing cooperation with the relevant authorities, to report evidence of fraud by itself or related companies or individuals, to any necessary strengthening of its group-wide ethics and compliance functions, and to annual reporting on its group-wide assurance programme. Serco Group's agreement to these obligations, which mirror the requirements imposed on SGL, was perhaps the most important factor in the judge's approval of the DPA in this case. Mr Justice Davis noted that, with SGL now being a dormant company, the obligations imposed on it under the DPA were of limited value, whereas the undertakings given by the group were of genuine and substantial effect without which it was very unlikely that the goals of a DPA could have been achieved in the circumstances of this case. 
And as you rightly noted, it's the first time undertakings of this kind have been made by a parent company in relation to a DPA entered by one of its subsidiaries. The judge described it as an important development in the use of DPAs, in particular given the nature of modern corporate structures. In that nature, it may be problematic to show that a controlling mind of the parent company was involved in the criminality carried out by a subsidiary, even where the benefit of the criminality tended to accrue to the parent. And that leads us on to a related point, which was highlighted by the court, that although the scheme was devised by management within SL, which was SGL's parent company, uh, there was no directing mind of SL that could be shown to have been involved in the devising and putting into effect of the fraud. On the other hand, there was evidence of directing minds within SGL having knowledge that SL reported fabricated cost figures to the Ministry of Justice. On that basis, only SGL and not SL was a party to the DPA. So it would appear then that the long-standing difficulties of attributing responsibility to the directing mind and will of a company uh, continue to shape the use of DPAs. Is that right? Indeed, the last decade has seen legislative attempts to address these difficulties by the introduction of failure to prevent corporate offences, starting with the introduction of the failure to prevent bribery in the UK Bribery Act in 2010, the Section 7 offence, and followed by the corporate offence of failure to prevent the facilitation of tax evasion in 2017. By way of reminder, these failure to prevent offences operate to create liability for a company by virtue of the conduct of a, an associated person acting for or on its behalf. This will include employees, but can also include other third parties such as agents, subsidiary or sister companies, depending upon the particular facts in the case. And in 2017, the government announced a call for evidence on the case for reform of the law on corporate criminal liability for economic crime, including the potential introduction of an offence of failing to prevent economic crime. Although the government's efforts on this appear to have stalled, we have seen some activity earlier this year, including calls from an NGO and groups of MPs calling for the government to step up its efforts to tackle corporate economic crime. Most notable was a recent report by a House of Lords committee which called for an immediate decision by the government on whether the Bribery Act's failure to prevent offence should be extended to encompass all other economic crime. And uh, Hannah, if, if such an offence of failing to prevent economic crime were to be introduced, would it be broad enough to capture the type of conduct that's described in the CERCO DPA? So that's a good question. And as circles offences of fraud and false accounting can clearly be categorised as economic crime offences, it is highly likely that a failure to prevent this kind of conduct would fall within scope of a future offence of failing to prevent economic crime. It's therefore not unthinkable that we in future could see a case similar to the facts in Serco, resulting in criminal liability on the part of a parent company, such as SL, which was not a party to the current DPA, for having failed to prevent these offences from being committed. And as most people will know, a significant part of the operation of uh, Serco Group is involved, uh, actually continues to involve outsourcing work for the UK public sector. Will the DPA affect Serco's ability to bid for, for other public contracts? Um, so interestingly, this was a key concern for the judge in the case. Mr Justice Davis stated that he was troubled by the issue of proportionality of a DPA given that SGL had engaged in quite deliberate fraud against the MOJ in relation to the provision of services vital to the criminal justice system. In particular, he was concerned about approving a DPA if it was the case that a DPA would mean that the company could continue to provide services to the government, whereas a conviction would result in debarment. 
He noted that a judge should not be involved in such a quasi-political decision. On balance, however, he concluded that his approval of the DPA would not be the determining factor in a political decision of whether SL and Serco Group could continue to supply services to government departments. In reaching that conclusion, he referred to the fact that on the morning of the DPA hearing, the government confirmed to the SFO in the court that it considered the self-cleaning measures adopted by Serco Group to have been such that there was no current reason why Serco should not continue to be a supplier to the UK government. In response to your question, therefore, it does not appear in the circumstances that the DPA or the underlying conduct will affect Serco's ability to engage in public contracts. Right. Um, and, and before we wrap up, you've highlighted obviously some distinguishing features of the Serco DPA, but were there any familiar features or ongoing trends that were apparent from the court's reasoning? Yes, uh, the decision emphasised the importance of continued cooperation at the highest levels, which have been important factors in previous DPAs, and supports the continuing trend of companies being held to high standards before a DPA will be approved. It's also noted that the Statement of Facts has not yet been published in respect to the Serco DPA, on the basis that the SFO is continuing to consider charging individuals. Individuals are also charged and prosecuted in respect of Sarclad and Tesco, though no convictions were secured. It remains to be seen whether individuals are prosecuted in respect to the Serco facts, and if they are, whether some convictions are secured. Right, uh, watch this space then. Uh, brilliant, well thank you. Uh, that's it for this maiden voyage. Uh, do remember to subscribe to the podcast so that you can hear uh, from the team on future developments as and when they arise. But for this episode, it only remains for me to say a huge thanks to Kate and to Hannah for joining us. Until next time, thanks for listening.